If you have a Bible, grab it. Open it up to the Gospel of Matthew, which is about three quarters of the way through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some on the table here, and that would be our gift to you. You can take it home, read it, uh, share it, give it away, whatever. Uh, If you have a phone, you can download Bible app on your phone. Uh, The verses will also be on the screen behind me, uh, I think, as we go uh, through the text this morning. Uh, And we just love to teach through books of the Bible. So we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're in a series on the Gospel of Matthew. I think we've been in this series for like, I don't know, a long time. Uh, Some of you weren't married when we started this. Some of you didn't have kids, and now you're married and you have kids. So uh, we've just been trucking along. If you haven't been here, you're new, you want to catch up, we podcast, uh, we vodcast, we Vimeo. You can find us all on the interwebs, uh, and uh, you can catch up with us on there. So Matthew chapter 11, we're going to finish off chapter 11 today by the grace of God, picking up in verse 25. So get there, let me pray while you turn there, and then we'll jump in. Jesus Uh, Again, we just thank you for your goodness and grace. Uh, We thank you that, as Nathan already prayed and declared, uh, you are not a distant God. You're you're a God who is invested in every way. You're you're involved in our lives. Uh, And one of the ways that you've made this so clear to us is you've spoken. You've spoken your word into existence. You've breathed into existence. And we're about to encounter you today through your word. So the Spirit of God, uh, the same Spirit who uh, breathed this word, the same spirit that hovered over the waters as creation was spoken into existence, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Spirit, would you speak to us this morning through your word? Would you show us how good Jesus is this morning, we pray? And all God's children really loudly said, Amen. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 starts with. Uh, three words. We're going to start with three words. It says, at that time. Let's stop there for just a second. If you've been here for a while, you laugh whenever I do that. Uh, what's really important to understand is you go through books of the Bible, and this is why we teach through books of the Bible and not just sort of um, pick topics, is because we, we want to teach uh, what the Bible says, and we, don't, we want to come to texts that are really Maybe we wouldn't otherwise pick uh, to speak on. They, like, so if you were here last week, for example, uh, how many of you were here last week? Put your hand up. Average follower of Jesus comes once a quarter. Keep them up just so I can see how awesome you are. Yeah, okay, brownie points in heaven for you. Uh, if you were here last week, and maybe it was like your first time, uh, you, probably not because you wouldn't have come back if last week was your first Sunday. Um, like, it was a hard word. It was a hard word. Uh, Jesus is in the middle, like where we are in Matthew 11 and in Matthew 12, Jesus is in the middle of this confrontation uh, with the religious leaders. And so there's this this kind of collision that is occurring as Jesus is having these interactions with the religious leaders. And last week, Jesus' words were harsh. Uh, they were not nice. Some of you were like, I thought Jesus was really nice. He doesn't sound very nice today. And it was, it was hard. It was hard. Uh, Jesus was preaching to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he was condemning them for their self-reliance, for their pride, uh, for their, their overinflated view of themselves, for their belief that they were somehow, uh, you know, so good that they, they didn't need Jesus. And, and if you were here last week, I said, what we're going to talk about is what stops us from coming to Jesus. And that's what Jesus was doing to the religious, religious leaders and Pharisees. He was exposing their heart. He was exposing to them why they refused to come to him. Well, today it's going to get a little bit nicer, okay? This is why we 
you know, come more than once a month because you miss the good stuff. So, so Jesus, this morning, what he's going to do, he's not going to backpedal. He's not going to unsay anything he already said. But what we're going to see this morning is just another aspect or another side of the nature character of God as revealed to us in Jesus. Jesus is God, as we'll see this morning in the text, and he reveals to us what God is like. And so what Jesus is going to talk about this morning, last week, why you don't come to Jesus, this week is why you should come to Jesus. He, he's going to put on display his grace and mercy, okay? So so picking up verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So what's happening here? Again, Matthew 11 and 12, Jesus is having this confrontation, this collision with the religious leaders. It's, it's intense. He's he's under duress. He's he's feeling the pressure of their constant critique of him, of, of their constant attack of him. And I, wa- I want you to see what he does here. He stops and he prays. Now, there's just a, this is probably just a good word for us. I'm not sure this is the full intention of, of Matthew, including this in uh, this part of his gospel, but there's, there's probably a good lesson for us here that when we come under hardship, when we come under attack, we should probably stop and pray. Uh, most of us, I don't know what you're like, but there's kind of this fight or flight mentality when life gets hard. When life gets hard, I do one of two things. I fight or I flight. I fight, which means I try and take matters into my own hands. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to get things done. I'm going to wake up earlier. I'm going to stay up later. I'm going to work more hours. I'm going to try. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to save. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. Or it's flight, which is I go into this dark place of despair. Woe is me. I'm the worst. I bury my head in the sand. Maybe I ignore my problems or pretend they're not there. And really what ends up happening is they just start to compound. And what Jesus demonstrates for us is that the right response under duress is not to do that. It's to stop to take a breath, to acknowledge the fact that you are not, you are not the one who holds the, the whole world in your hands. You are not the one who, who controls the universe, but indeed God is. And to come to him and pray. And there's this beautiful reality for us as followers of Jesus that, that there is a God who knows everything, who loves us at the same time and actually cares about our circumstances. I mean, that's what Jesus actually prays. He says, I praise you, Father. In other words, I know you as a father, but then look what he says next, Lord of heaven and earth. Like you control the cosmos. Like the reason you have breath in your lungs right now is because God permits it to be so. If he just took his his hand, so to speak, off of the wheel of the cosmos, it would just cease to exist. And so who better to come to in the midst of hardship, in the midst of strife, in the midst of struggle than God? And this is one of the ways, one of, one of the unique ways that Christianity separates itself from all other worldviews, all other religions, all other ideologies. I mean, if you, if you look at like the idea of atheism or even new age spirituality or even, you know, like sort of popery Canadian uh, nicety religion, which is sort of like you just kind of make up whatever you want. You believe happy, sappy things about what God is like, like he's this big teddy bear. At the end of the day, who's the center of the story? It's us. It's you. New Age spirituality just says, like, look inside yourself. That's where you're going to find hope. If you can just, you know, slow your breathing down, take yoga classes, meditate. If you can, if you can practice mindfulness, that that will somehow improve your life and control your circumstances. Eh, wrong. If you're honest, when you look inside yourself, all you see is more brokenness, all, all you see is more sin, all you see is more decay. Uh, the, the story atheism tells us is that we are just a giant cosmic accident, that your life actually has no consequence. You're just a bunch of chemicals and neurons bouncing around, and you just happen to be here at this time. And even the things that are happening 
right now in your life, there isn't anybody out there who cares. This is just nature running its course, so suck it up, buttercup. It's actually probably in the best interest of the universe that you go through what you're going through. And Christianity comes in and says, actually, there's this transcendent God who knows you and loves you that you can put your hope and your trust in. This week I was uh, uh, hanging out with a, a guy, new, new believer here at West Village, and one of the things I love about our church is that we do have a lot of people who are coming to faith here, a lot of people who are new to their faith, and it's just so refreshing to talk to them about Jesus because it's just like, it's just awesome. And so I'm having lunch with this guy, and, and he's just trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, and he started talking about how he's been uh, praying with his kids at night. And he said, I, I love praying with my kids at night. He's got these two little girls. And he said, the reason I love praying with my daughters is because it, it tells them that there's like a God out there that knows them and loves them. And it gives them a sense of comfort. He said, they've actually been having less bad dreams at night because they believe there's a God who's looking out for them. That's one of the beautiful truths that we sort of have the corner of the market on as Christians. That there's a God who's not just off in the distance. He's not just far away. He's not just watching you like a distant or absentee landlord, hoping you figure out your life, but he's actually involved and cares. And so Jesus, under duress, under stress, he prays. I can only imagine the number of things that we are experiencing in this room this morning. There's a ton of hurt. There's a ton of pain. There's a ton of hardship. And you want answers. And I understand that. You want solutions understand that, but maybe what you need to do is just stop, humble yourself, and sit at the feet of your heavenly Father, sit at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus prays. He goes on. Here, here's what he says. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven. Here's why. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you re have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So, so here's what Jesus is doing here. He's kind of unpacking what's been happening so far in Matthew chapter 11 in his interactions with the Pharisees. He's been calling the Pharisees to repentance. He's been, even if you go back to Matthew 8 9, he's been doing miracles. He's been healing people. He's been preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they continue to reject him. They continue to turn their back on him. They continue to deny him. And what Jesus is saying here is the wise and the learned, they don't get Jesus. They don't understand him. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were. They were wise and they were learned. They, they knew a lot about the Bible. They, they read the Bible. They studied the Bible. Most Pharisees would have had the vast majority of their Old Testament, although they wouldn't have called it the Old Testament. They would have that memorized. And so, so they were wise. They were learned. They were, they were in a privileged position. They, they, were, they believed they came from the line of Abraham, and so that somehow gave them a, a unique in with the God of the universe. Uh, they were wealthy. They were held in high esteem in their community. But what's interesting is this, they wouldn't respond to Jesus. They wouldn't respond to his invitation, his call to repentance. They wouldn't respond to his invitation to come to him. They wouldn't follow him. They, wouldn't, they couldn't see him. And, and I think what Jesus is doing here, he's kind of critiquing for us something that we hold up in high esteem in our culture, which is this idea that if, if we can have more, if we could have more stuff, if we could have a higher place of privilege, that somehow that advantages us. Like, how many times have you looked at other places in the world where people have way less than us? Uh, they don't have as much stuff. They're not as wealthy. They don't have homes like we have, families like we have. They don't have access to education like we have. And what do we think? Man, we sure are lucky to live here. 
man, aren't we lucky to live in Canada where we have freedoms, we have paychecks, we have pensions, we have houses and we have cars and we have dogs that we can take to the vet and spend insane amounts of money getting them all kinds. Like, we're just so lucky and blessed to live here. Jesus is going, I don't know if you are. I don't know if the corner office is the best thing for you. I don't know if the more zeros in the bank account is the best thing for you. I don't know if more square footage in your home is the best thing for you. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. But culturally, this is our pursuit. I mean, I was just thinking about this uh, this week preparing for this morning. We have, we have something. I don't know if you guys know that this exists. I'm 40, so I'm starting to lose touch with what's happening in the real world. Uh, but there, there's something that exists called a, a, a social influencer. Are you, who knows what a social influencer is? Okay, so a social influencer is somebody who uh, does nothing for a living other than post things on social media. And they have so many followers, and they have so many people that pay attention to what they do, that when they post something, the rest of the lemmings on social media flock to it. So they get paid, in some cases, depending on the, the size of their following, they get paid like millions of dollars to post things. And what do the rest of us do? We buy it. We go there. We, we, we do what, what they suggest that we do. I mean, if you go on Netflix and there's a documentary called, I don't remember the name of the documentary, but it's about the, the fire Festival, which was this, essentially it was a hoax of a festival, but the way that this man made money was by paying a few social media influencers to post pictures of themselves, good-looking gals in bikinis, jumping off boats, swimming in nice water, post that all over social media. And this guy had thousands, maybe millions of people, definitely millions of dollars sent to him because people looked at, at these models swimming in these, in these waters on these beaches and said, I want to be there. And then they get there and they find out there's actually no festival. The thing's a whole schmoz and they lose all their money and this guy ends up in jail. But it says something about the current cultural climate, doesn't it? Like we care so much about what what? Status. Like, just look around, guys. We're all wearing the same clothes. We look the same. What is wrong with us? We're in pursuit of the same things. We think if we can somehow satisfy, live the, the North American dream that our lives are going to be better. Well, according to Jesus, that's not the case. According to Jesus, what, what you think is going to advantage you might actually be a disadvantage, more money, more square footage, more, more accolades at work, more comfort in your life. It might do the exact opposite of what you think it's going to do, which is make your life better. It might make your life awesome, but you might live the rest of it without Jesus. Because what was the sin of the Pharisees? Do you remember last week, and he's kind of getting at it again here in verse 25 and 26, he's saying your sin was you thought you were so important. You were self-reliant. You thought because of your religious position, your religious performance, because you're from the line of Abraham, that you somehow didn't need me. You didn't need to be saved. You didn't even think you needed to be saved. You thought you were so good. I mean, what's, what's the sin of our city? I mean, when I, when I meet most people, uh, you know, we talk to a lot of people that don't know Jesus, I would say most people are not hostile to Jesus. They're not. They just don't see a need for him. 
I've kind of got life figured out. Like, what do I actually need to be saved from? And what Jesus says, look at what he says here. Second half of verse 25. He says to the Father, you've revealed them to little children. Little children. Little children are what? I mean, they're little and they're children. They're humble. They're dependent. They're needy. If you know, if you're a, a mom in the room, we got a lot of babies here at West Village, right? They cry at two in the morning. Why? Because they need you. They need you. I mean, kids need their parents. If if you were just to leave, like I've got four kids and they're all older, 16, 14, 12, 10. Leave them all home alone for a weekend. They will die. Heck, if Kelly leaves me home alone with the kids for the weekend, we will all die. (laughs) Because nobody knows how to cook or buy groceries or like clean ourselves. Like we'll just, we'll come home and the kids will just be lying on the floor dead. The fridge full of food. Why? Because they need us. They're dependent on us. Like my son, he's not here so I can talk about him this morning. He's been up at camp for the last number of weeks, up at Camp Emity and serving, and he came home for 36 hours, and like, he just needed his mummy. I know. It was sweet. It was sweet. A little bit pathetic, but kind of sweet. <laughs> Will you do my laundry for me? Will you take me shopping? Will you make me cookies? I just need my mommy. He's 16. He's bigger than me. Please do not repeat any of this to him. (laughs) What Jesus is saying, follow his train of thought here. It's not the wise and the learned who are advantaged. It's the little children. It's the little children. They're advantaged. Why? Why? Because they know of their need. There's a word here, and I mean, I I don't know how else to say this other than this should absolutely terrify us. Look at verse 26. Verse 25, sorry, verse 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden, that's the word, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. Hidden. It's an odd word. Does, does Jesus mean, is he praying here to his heavenly Father, like, man, God, I'm so glad that you were playing hide and seek with the religious leaders, right? That you were nowhere to be found and they couldn't find you. They were frantically looking everywhere for you and oh, you're just such a good hider that they couldn't find you. Way to go, Father. Way to go. That's not what he means. Friends, Jesus is standing in front of the religious leaders. He's talking to them. He's looking them in the eye and they can't see him. And it's not because he's hiding. It's because they don't think they need him. They've gotten to this place in their life. They have started to believe 
their own press. They have started to believe that they are so important, that they are, are so good, that they actually don't need Jesus. It should terrify you. These are the Bible guys. They were the ones that came to the church gathering in the middle of the summer sat and listened intently, knew the verses, knew when to stand and when to sit, knew uh, all the words to all the songs, even when the guy at the back didn't get the words right, they could still sing along because they knew the words because they're, they're so good. They're so religious. They need Jesus. They need him. You don't need Jesus if you're already awesome. You don't need Jesus if the fridge is full, the cupboards are full, the bank account is maxed, the RSPs have been completely topped up for the year. If you have this sense of your own self-importance, it's like Jesus is a nice idea. I'm not sure that I, I don't need him. This terrifies me. What, what this tells me is that I could stand up here, preach sermons, spend 10, 12, 15 hours a week preparing sermons, you know, working full-time in a church, doing my thing, staring Jesus in the face and not be able to see him. because of my own self-importance, my own sense of self-righteousness, because of my pride. Jesus says, you got to become like a little child. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a pastor, speaker, author, theologian, one of my favorite authors, he's uh, passed on, but he talks about the preaching of the gospel, and he says this, and I think it's important. He says, if we preach the gospel, this is not a verbatim quote, this is my paraphrase. He says, if we preach the gospel, and all we talk about is the love of God, he says, the danger that we run into is that we get comfortable with who we are. If all we're ever told, this is what he's saying, if all we're ever told is how kind God is and how much he loves us and, and this idea gets painted for us that he's like this celestial teddy bear and we never hear about our own sin, he, he describes it as a need, our need. If we never hear about our own need, then we will become religious hypocrites. So the question for us then is, are we humble enough to acknowledge the fact that we are indeed broken? We're, we need to become like little children, dependent, dependent on Jesus. Jesus goes on, verse 27, he says this. He says, uh, all things 
have been committed to me by my heavenly Father, by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Uh, here, here we have, so far in Matthew's Gospel, this is one of the most theologically rich passages of Scripture uh, that we have. And what Jesus is doing here in this prayer and as he's interacting with the Pharisees, he's pulling back the veil for us. And he's giving us like a picture of what God looks like. Now, this is important, right? Because we start talking about God, uh, West Coast, 2019, you know, SBNR Victoria, spiritual but not religious. And I've already said this, well, I'll just say it again. I would say, generally speaking, in Victoria, uh, there is not like a, a widespread atheistic movement. There are definitely outliers that would identify as atheists. But if you have hung around people that don't know Jesus, most people are very pro-God. They're very pro-religion. They're very pro, I don't know, Mother Nature or the universe. And, you know, you'll hear people say that when I go hiking, I have these, like, existential, uh, you know, experiences, and that's my connection to God. And so when we start talking about what God is, who God is, we, we have to start to define terms a little bit. Uh, a recent study came out by the Pew, uh, Pew Research Group that says, I think, I think the numbers were roughly 80% of Canadians uh, would actually identify as like somebody who believes in God. And, and we would hear that and we would say, that's really good. That's good. We think it's good that Canadians believe in God. And I don't know if that's good or not. I have no idea if it's good. I'm not going to make a comment on that. But here's what I do know. That most Canadians, probably most of those 80% of Canadians that believe in God, w- would actually just define God in their own terms. They would just add their own definition to what God is. And so they kind of essentially, functionally make God in their own image and and it, it really, the word God almost means nothing at that point because it can mean anything you want it to, to mean. And that's why when you start to talk about the exclusivity of Christ, which Jesus is just about to jump into, people get terribly offended because everyone's made up their own version of what God is like. And if you start to come in and say, no, actually, this is what God is like, people don't like that. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's pulling back the veil and he's giving us a picture of who God really is. He gets to decide who God is. God tells you who God is. You don't get to decide who God is. He reveals it to you, and that's what Jesus is doing. And here's what he's saying, and this is really important for us to understand. Jesus is saying that he is God. Look at the language he uses here. Verse 27, he says, All things have been committed to me. By who? By my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and, uh, sorry, except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So in other words, the Father and the Son have this symbiotic relationship whereby they're both somehow God. And the the way that Christianity has taught who God is is that God is Trinitarian Trinitarian in nature. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. One God who's revealed himself in three co-eternal, co-existing persons. This is who God is. And so when the Bible talks about God, it talks about not just about Jesus, but ultimately that Jesus is the way by which we can fully know who God is. If you go to John chapter 17, where Jesus is uh, praying, rather, his high priestly prayer, he says, this is eternal life, that they would know the Father and they would know the Son whom he sent. In other words, that they would know me. And so when we talk about God, we, we talk about Jesus. People have come here before, new to faith, new to church, and they're saying, like, how come you always talk about Jesus? Because That's who God has revealed himself to be primarily through the scriptures, that it is through Jesus that we come to know who God is. Jesus himself said this in John's gospel. He said it a number of times. One of the ways that he said it that is the most stark or the most clear is that if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. So here Jesus is identifying himself as God. Many times in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus 
identifies himself as God. Throughout Matthew's gospel, throughout all the gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, other people have identified Jesus as God. They've, they've sought to worship him. They sought to praise him. He never once turned any of them away. You start to go through the new page, uh, the pages of the New Testament, the letters, the epistles that were written by other church leaders. They talk about Jesus as if he was God. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, he says, through the gospel of Jesus, the righteousness of God is being revealed. In other words, if you want to know exactly what God's nature and character is like, look at Jesus. If you look at Jesus, you see God. This is really important. It's important. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why we sing songs to Jesus. That's why we take communion every Sunday. And we take communion, not in the name of God, but we take communion in the name of Jesus. That's why we pray to Jesus. That's why when you ask me, Chris, what's your sermon about this week? I always say, Jesus. He's a big deal. Somehow in God's providence, in his sovereignty, the spirit of God, the way he works, he elevates the person and work of Jesus so that we could come into this saving relationship with the God of the universe. Do you know Jesus? Do you pray to Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? Is your idea of spirituality, is it fuzzy? Is it informed by the, the current cultural moment that we live in? where God could mean anything, where God's definition has really been watered down to whatever. Jesus is saying, it's me you need to worship. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's a tough pill to swallow. That doesn't sell very well in our pluralistic culture. But yeah, Jesus says, I'm God. That's why we exist to make not God known, Jesus known. And so the question for us is, do we know Jesus? Some of you are new to faith, new to church. You're, you're checking things out. It's awesome. Praise God. You're on a journey. Praise God. Some of this stuff is hard. I, I understand. But do you know Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? Have you given yourself to Jesus? Because he's standing right in front of you and he's inviting you to come to him. It's Jesus we worship. And then he goes on to say this in verse 27, or sorry, verse 28. And I said this last week, and I will say it again. These are some of the sweetest words that we have recorded that Jesus says in the New Testament. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Again, we get this picture where Jesus, he invites us, right? He invites us not to God. He invites him to himself, he is God. He doesn't say go to God. He doesn't say I merely point the way to God. He doesn't say go to church. He, he doesn't say read your Bible and pray. These are all good things that we should do. We love reading the Bible. We love praying. But Jesus says that's, that's not what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to myself. I want you to come to me. Some of you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus. You have questions about what it means. You're, you're on a journey and you're, you're, you don't know where you are on the journey. Most of the time, we don't, and the line is blurry about whether I'm in or whether I'm out, and you're kind of figuring it out, and, and you don't know, there's so, you have so many questions. 
So many questions. It's, it's just a fog. It's a forest of questions. Shh. Stop. Come to me. Come to me. This is the only question that matters. Do you know Jesus? Have you come to Jesus? Have you humbled yourself like a little child and sat at the feet of Jesus? But look at who Jesus invites. It's so beautiful. He says, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and burdened. What's he talking about? If you go back to Matthew's gospel a few pages ago, Matthew chapter 9, I think it's verse 35, Jesus was looking out at the crowds and he was brokenhearted for them. And Matthew says he was brokenhearted for them because they were harassed and helpless. He goes on to say that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus was looking at a group of people who had been led by the religious leaders. They sat under the teaching of the religious leaders. They, they had been beaten up by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and here again, Jesus looks at those same people, and that's who he's calling. He's like, I've tried to call you religious people, but you're too hard-hearted, you're too prideful, you're too stubborn, you can't see that you need me, so I'm going to call those who are weary and those who are burdened. And this is what religion does, isn't it? It causes us to be weary and burdened. It causes us to be heavy-hearted. It causes us to feel like we are under oppression. I mean, this is exactly what happened to the religious leaders. God, in his grace and mercy, calls the nation of Israel unto himself. It's actually an act of his grace. And he didn't choose the nation of Israel. He didn't choose this particular group of people because there was anything in them that was good. He chose them because he was good. And somehow, in their history, they started to believe that there, it was their obedience to the law, it was their obedience to God's ways that somehow set them apart and made them good. They started to believe their own press, and then they started to take that same mentality and press it onto the people that if you could just do more, try harder, uh, be better, follow the law, obey certain ways of living, do this, don't do this, Pray so many times a day facing a particular direction. Eat these types of foods. Don't eat these types of foods. It's those things that are going to make you holy. It is those things that are going to make you right in the eyes of God. Here's what religion does. Every single time, you need to, you need to feel this, okay? It takes the work that only God can do out of the hands of God, and it places it on your back. It is God who makes us right. It is God who changes us and transforms us. It is God alone who has the ability to do that. And what religion does is it takes that work that only God can do and it places it squarely on our shoulders and says, now perform for me. And our shoulders are not big enough or strong enough to bear that weight or that burden. And religion can take many forms. It can take the form of coming to church and playing religious games with God, but religion can take forms that we don't even recognize sometimes. We live in this secular culture that seems to be sort of beyond religion, but yet there are many religious ways in which we can live our lives. Because at the core, what religion says is we know that there's something wrong with us and we have to do something to make ourselves right. And so what do we do? We pretend. We pretend like we have our lives all together. We, we try so hard, but we know we're broken. Like, we haven't slept in the same bed as our spouse in months, weeks, years. And we, we excuse it away to, oh, she snores, or we had the kids. And, and you come here, and you smile, and you hold hands, and you pretend. Got it all figured out. 
playing games, hiding. But you're a mess. And instead of just admitting your mess and coming to Jesus, you just try and perform. It's exhausting, isn't it? Isn't it really exhausting pretending to be awesome when you know you're not awesome? No, just me. You're swimming, drowning in consumer debt because you recognize your own brokenness and you're trying to fill some kind of void in your life with more things and more stuff. And so you just keep buying and you keep pursuing the next thing. And you're you're just drowning. You don't know how you're going to get out. But you just keep pretending everything's okay instead of admitting, acknowledging your brokenness, your need. Friends, you need to hear what Jesus is saying because it's so beautiful. He says, humble yourself and come to me. And then look at what he says next, okay? Look at what he says. This is so good, guys. So good. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you tired? Are you burnt out? Are you exhausted? You feel like every time you walk into a room that you, you feel like you have to pretend, perform, put on a mask. Jesus is saying, if you just humble yourself, put that aside. Put that down. Come to me. Acknowledge that you have a need, just like a child has a need for its parent. Acknowledge that you have a need, that you are broken, that you can't do the work that only God can do. Humble yourself. Sit at my feet. And I will give you rest. You can stop. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, He says this, I believe the quote will be on the screen behind me, but he says, if you want God's grace, all you need is need. (laughs) Somebody should tweet that. All you need is nothing. But that kind of spiritual humility is hard to muster. We come to God saying, look at all I've done, or maybe look at all I've suffered. God, however, wants us to merely look to him. That is all. See, here's the beauty of what Jesus is saying here, and I don't want this to be lost on us. He looks into our hearts, and he sees us at our absolute worst, the thing that you are so desperately trying to hide from everyone else. He sees right through it, through the facade, through the religious games, through the brokenness, through everything, and he just peers in and he sees. You want to hide it. You want to quickly clean up before he comes in so he doesn't see the dirty dishes in the sink, but he sees the dirty dishes. And he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. So, friends, let me just ask, will you come to Jesus? That's his invitation. Like I asked last week, why wouldn't? doesn't want this? What is holding you back? If it's anything, 
It's just our pride. It's our pride. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to close. Let me just quickly read these last few verses. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every time Jesus makes a farming analogy, I am reminded of my deep inadequacies because I don't know anything about farming, okay? But I Google imaged a yoke, which I think is going to be, okay, there we go. Thank you. This is a yoke, okay? I don't really know what it does. I'm kidding. I Wikipedia, what is a yoke? So this was an instrument used to bring two oxen together to plow a field, right? This is a way that they would sort of uh, leverage the collective strength of two animals to do a very hard job, plow a field. And, and there's another way that this idea of a yoke was, was used by uh, first century people, Jewish people in particular, that, is that a yoke was actually the way that they would describe the collective body of uh, a, a particular spiritual mentor's teachings. And so what he is saying here is, you know, like, Sometimes you would yoke yourself to a teacher, a way of, 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 of following a particular teacher. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I want you to yoke yourself to me. I want you to yoke yourselves to my teaching. Now, when we think of a yoke, we think of farming. We think of hard work. It's hard work to yoke yourself uh, and then go and plow a field. But look at what Jesus says about his yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So some of you hear this idea of come to Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus into the mission field, give your life to Jesus, and it's overwhelming. And Jesus in his grace and kindness, it's beautiful, friends, it's beautiful. This is what he says. I want to do this with you. You don't have to do this alone. So some of you are, are terrified to come to Jesus. You don't, you don't even know what that means. And Jesus is saying, it's okay, I'll do it with you. Just partner up with me here. Come, come stand next to me and we'll walk this journey together. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. And, and the next step is maybe just to deal with some brokenness in the past, forgiveness, uh, hurt maybe even sin you've committed and it's, it's too much to even go there. You want to just continue to live with the pain and the hardship. Jesus says, I'll walk it with you. Some of you are ready to take the next step. You're ready. We talk about opening our homes and our lives to Jesus and his mission, selling everything, following him, sharing our faith with our neighbors, all the stuff that we are so on about here all the time. And it's overwhelming. It's daunting. Jesus says, I'll walk with you. I'll do it with you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the question that we then have to answer is, will we just come to him? That's his invitation. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. Oh, you're so good. You're so gracious. You're so loving. You're so kind. And Lord, in this moment right now, just draw us in. Some of us, we can't see. We just can't see. You're hidden. And it's not because you're hiding. It's because we just can't see. We're blind. Our pride, our ambition, our 
religious performance. It's just in the way. We can't, we can't see you. So would you just allow us to humble ourselves like little children and come to you? Pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to respond. And uh, what we do here at uh, West Village, we, we hear the word of God, then we respond. God's good. He's kind. He speaks gospel and goodness into our hearts. And then we respond. And here's how we respond. We're going to sing to Jesus because he's worthy of our worship. We're going to give to Jesus because he's worthy of our entire lives. Uh, we're going to have people in the back corner, uh, my right, your left, who are there. Just if you need prayer, Ken and Rena will be back there. They would love to pray with you, minister to you, uh, counsel you, whatever it is that you need. And then this is really the moment of response. This is the high point of our time together where we come forward and take communion. So there's going to be two stations at the front. Uh, at each station, there's going to be uh, a basket that has a cracker. At the other station, there'll be uh, little cups that have wine or juice, whichever you would prefer. And this is our opportunity to come forward, as some already are, to remember Jesus, right? It says in our text that he's gentle and humble-hearted, right? He came as a baby. He humbled himself and came from heaven to earth. He was a marginalized Galilean peasant for most of his life. He washed the feet of his disciples, but it gets far better than that. The God of the universe humbled himself, became obedient to death, as the apostle Paul says, even death on a cross, so that we could have relationship with God. And all, friends, all we need to do is humble ourselves and come. This is our come to Jesus moment. Some of you, maybe you've never taken communion before. Here's what you say when you take communion. I want to be like a little child. I need you. Just like a cracker sustains my stomach, although not for very long, I need the God of the universe to sustain my soul. I need you. This isn't a religious act. This is a spiritual moment. So think before you come, think, am I ready to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Let's respond together.